Psalm 46. If you've got a Bible, it would be great to turn there. Um, so, you know, some, some people use technical Bibles these days, mobile phones, tablets, fine, whatever it is. But it's great to bring a Bible. I've talked to a number of church leaders recently and just said, what do you think about putting Bibles up on screen and all the readings up on screen? Because I'm in two minds about whether it's good or not. I think it's good if you've forgotten your Bible. But then everybody doesn't bring their Bible because it's up on screen. So it's a bit of a catch-22. But you know, one of the reasons why I like taking my Bible to church, whether that's on a phone or a tablet or even a paper version, if you're old school like me, is this. That sometimes God takes me somewhere else to where the preacher's taking me. God is speaking to me. And I know this has happened to many people in the room. I've had people come up to me afterwards and say, Dave, that was a fantastic word on peace. And I'm thinking, I don't remember speaking on peace. And God had taken them off on a journey with particular scriptures for, for their own reasons. Now, if you haven't brought your Bible, then you're going to have to do it in your head and your heart. But sometimes I find that God takes me up. I'm lingering in a scripture. I'm reading a little bit further. I'm reading as the preacher is preaching. So I encourage you, and even those listening online, you know, get a Bible, take a Bible with you. Allow God to take you on the guided tour wherever he wants to take you. Now, if we all went on holiday somewhere nice and warm, let's think of somewhere nice. How about Turkey or Greece? We're all staying in this nice hotel, and then we're going to go and look at some of the sites. Some of us would be interested in the old ruins. Some of us would be interested in, in, in the history and, and want to read everything. Have you ever been around one of those things, um, something like Windsor Castle, with someone who wants to read everything? And you want to look at everything. And it's like, you know, it's, it's painful. It's painful. But, you know, God can do the same with us. He can take us on a guided tour through his word. And that's what I believe he wants to do with us this morning. So let me start in Psalm 46 by making a statement. David, David had good times and bad. David wrote the Psalms. He was a king. He had good times and bad times. And in Psalm 46, he says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and are troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Now in my Bible now it says Selah, which means pause. David wrote this in many places. So he wants us to pause at this moment. Why did he want us to pause? The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of Jacob is our refuge. So come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made the desolations of the earth. He makes wars to cease in the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot with fire. So, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts. 
is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. There have been many times, even this year, 2016, here we are, September 2016, there have been many times this year, um, I've heard people say something like this, and i found myself saying something like this sometimes. Why do I have to go through this? Why am I being troubled? And here's the interesting thing. I got up, was, was it Thursday morning this week? I can't remember which morning I got up. The news said this station was flooded and this place was flooded and not, really not far from here at all. And I looked out my window and the, card, the garden it didn't even look wet. I thought, wow, just up the road, flooding, but not here. But the same can be true for us. My life, I'm struggling, I'm weighed down and everybody else seems to be rushing past as though Nothing else is going on. Do you know what? It's very difficult sometimes to tell whether someone's going through a storm or not. Sometimes it's very difficult to, to look at someone and say, everything looks okay. Just next time you go to a river and you see the swans gliding past, just look at how they glide along. If you, look at, if you took your camera underwater and took a picture of what was going underwater, those legs are going like bilio to make them go along. They're working very hard, yet it looks so graceful. I used to live in Cookham many, many, many years ago. Um, and Cookham is where the Queen Swan Upper lives. And she's resp he's responsible for counting and ringing the new swans on the Thames that um, are, are, are marked for the Queen. And they're tagged and ringed, just the new ones each year. And it's all, all fancy dress and it's, it's all very interesting, but... I tell you what, when you see someone catching a swan, you realise how powerful swans are. I've never seen it, but I've been told that the beat of a, a swan's wing could break your arm. Yeah, they are that powerful. Or if you th see them taking off, they're not like birds. And there used to be a swan, you know, a swan sanctuary over in, in Edgham. It's moved over um, more towards Shepparton now. But Dot Beeson, who, who ran that place, she was incredible with the swans. She, she picked them up. And these things could have broken her arm. She was just an amazing lady because she just learnt to live with swans. She took swans that were covered with oil and cleaned them. She took swans with broken wings and broken legs. You know, and she, she looked after them. So these powerful birds, and yet they can look like they're doing nothing. They're just gliding along on the river. And yet they're working so hard. You know, we can look like that too sometimes. We can look serene and happy on the outside. But inside there's a storm going on. A storm going on in our heart. A storm going on in our head. Have you ever got up? I, actually, this happened for me not that long ago. A couple of weeks ago, I, had, I was telling a couple of people, I had a couple of essays to write. I'm not a great fan of writing. I'm quite happy talking, but I'm not a great fan of writing. But I had two essays to write in two days. So I, I, I finished church on Sunday, and by Tuesday morning, I have ha had it to hand in two postgraduate essays. And if I'm honest with you, in my head, I, I'd already been doing some reading. I had a brainstorm going on. There was all these thoughts flying around. Yeah, and I, on the outside, probably you didn't know. 
But in my head, all these thoughts were bouncing around, a bit like a snooker table with lots of balls. When you hit the balls and they're all bouncing around, lots of ideas. And I, I certainly on the Monday, on the Sunday night and the Monday night, I, I woke up a number of times with ideas in my head. I wasn't troubled, but my head was busy. My head was full. I had a brainstorm going on. Do you know, uh, late on the, on, on the Sunday night, about three o'clock in the morning, I woke up with another set of thoughts. And I just thought, this isn't going to help me. If I'm going to wake up tomorrow tired, I'm not going to be in a good place to write this essay. I just asked Jesus, would you help calm the storm in my head? It wasn't a problem for anybody else. In fact, most people didn't even know it was going on. And interestingly, three o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, the darkest part of the night, I bet there are other people listening online, other people in the room who have been troubled at three o'clock in the morning. Maybe not exactly three o'clock, but a dark night. Something has disturbed you. Something has, has worried you. I just asked, Jesus, would you calm the storm? You did it before with the disciples. They were, they were in the boat with Jesus. He was asleep. He wasn't even aware there was a storm going on. And they woke him up. And the storm was still. I just prayed, rolled over, went back to sleep, got up the next morning, sat down, wrote the essay, finished it, went and had a cup of coffee. Did the same thing on Tuesday, sat down, wrote the essay, and apart from putting some references in, it was done. Now, that norm, I really don't do that naturally. That, for me, was a supernatural two days. Now, you might, for those people who find it really easy to write, you're looking at me, well, my wife struggled, doesn't struggle to write at all. She can sit down and write coherently, very quickly, very easily. That's not me. So for those people who don't know what I'm talking about, fantastic. But for those who do, it was a supernatural moment. Now, that was a crisis, a minor crisis for me. Maybe not for you. Maybe you have a different one. But the point I want to make is there are storms. And sometimes they're very localised. Sometimes it's only raining over you. I've seen people walking down the street with umbrellas and everybody else is thinking, what's going on here? There's a person walking down the street with an umbrella. And when they left the house, it was raining. But it stopped raining now, but they haven't realised. Do you know the same can be true in our hearts and in our heads? Actually, sometimes we can think there's a storm going on and the storm has already passed. And we're still behaving like the storm is still happening. I've heard and I've seen and I've talked to uh, friends of mine down in Cornwall who are a fisherman. And one of the things they will say is the storms around Cornwall, around the headlands around Cornwall, often the waves are big and uh, you don't want to be out in them. And so they find a port in a storm. They find a safe place in a storm just to ride out. Sometimes it's not even a port. Sometimes it's just behind a headland. You just find something to shelter behind. We've all done it, haven't we? When it's really windy and it's blowing with rain, we'll find something to shelter behind. We'll, we'll walk down the side of the building rather than down the middle of the pavement just because we're going to get less wet. A port in a storm. A place of peace. A place of tranquility. A place of protection. And so 
When I read in Psalm 46, God is our refuge. What is a refuge? A refuge is a safe place to go to when you need to be set apart. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. So whenever we're in trouble, whenever we're in trouble, let's find that port and that safety. Because having found it, David goes on to say at the end of the psalm, be still and know that I am God. God knows that bad stuff happens. God knows that we're going through storms. And some of us probably have prayed at some point or other, I've done it. And it might surprise you, but I've done it. I've said, God, get me out of this. And I've not sensed God getting me out of it at all. In fact, I've sensed things have sometimes slowed down rather than speed up. Instead of getting out of it, I seem to be lingering in it. Like, God, why? And then I realised that God wants me to learn something. It's not that he sent the storm to me, but he's allowing the storm to impact my life because he wants me to learn something. He wants me to, to change something. He wants me to grow in some area of faith or, 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 or hope or certainty or even love. Sometimes people might say that's God's testing us. I, I, in my frame of reference, that's God allowing us to be tested. God doesn't have these things where he kind of qualifies us and then qualifies us again. But there are times when God wants us to go through the storm, not for the storm to go away. Now, if you don't believe this is true, let's turn to Acts 27. I'm not going to read it, but I just want you to find it and maybe bookmark it and, and read it at another time. This is the story of Paul. It's the story of Paul and he goes through a storm. Is, did I put it in there, son? I did, okay, yeah. And, and as I said, I'm not going to read it all. But Paul was in a storm. And the storm did not go away. There were possibly hundreds of people being impacted by this storm. Not just Paul himself, but all the people on the boat. Let me just read to you a little bit of the, storm, the story here in uh, Acts 27. I'll read from verse 13. When the south wind blew softly, Supposing they had obtained that desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose, called Euclidrian. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the winds, we let her, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of the island called Clouda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on Syritus, they struck sail and so were driven. And because of this excess, excessively tempest-tossed, the next they lightened the ship. And on the third day, they threw more ship's tackle overboard. 
But after a long abstinence from food, Paul stood up in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life amongst you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me, this might be an angel of the, of the God, to whom I belong and to whom I serve. Everybody was being impacted by the storm. Paul said, you should have paid attention. So what can we learn from this scripture? And I, I really would like you to read the whole of chapter 27 to put it into context. First thing is, sometimes it's valid to ask, what's causing the storm? What's causing the storm? Now, sometimes the storm can be caused by something we've done. A few weeks ago, Simon spoke about uh, a, a, a scripture in Ephesians that talked about the armour of God. You know, sometimes, if we don't put on the belt of truth, that can cause a whole set of storms. If we've told a lie, the consequences of that can keep on coming back again and again for periods of time. Sometimes we have to say, I'm sorry, I should have been more truthful. Let's understand the reason for the storm. Let's look for it. Yeah, for Paul, there were three reasons. The first, the ship's captain had not listened to, Paul, to Paul's godly advice. Secondly, the crew were lusty for more. They were greedy. And thirdly, they allowed that greed to cloud their judgment. Firstly, we need to determine the storm, the reason for the storm. Next, it's worth asking the question, what's the result of this storm likely to be? I realised only the week before last, that brainstorm that I had. And if I didn't get that sorted, then I probably wasn't going to get the work done. And that was going to distract me for the rest of the week. Then Paul and us, we need to determine our response. What's our response to the storm? Sometimes we need to deal with the problem. Sometimes we need to confess sin. Sometimes we need to take hold of the promises that God has for us. This book is full of promises. Not just got one or two, not just got 10 or 20, it's got hundreds of promises. I want to encourage us, in the, in, in the storm, let's remind ourselves that the anchor holds, that the anchor is secure. That's why I believe it's really good for us to get this word into our heart. If we can get this word into our heart, then in the storm, we don't even have to be carrying the Bible with us. It's already here. And we can remind ourselves. David encouraged himself. He spoke to himself. What does that mean? When you start? Have you ever found yourself speaking to yourself? Sometimes I do. I walk around and say, come on, Dave, pull yourself together. Do, am I the only strange person in the room? Do we all talk to ourselves at times? Yeah, we, well, we do. 
Sometimes it's very strange when you see somebody walking around talking to themselves. Sometimes I've realized it's actually people on, the mo on their mobile phone and they've got a headset in their, their ear. But it is strange when you see somebody walking up and down. And walking up and down like this, talking like this. Isn't sometimes how we do? But that's what David did. He encouraged himself. And I want to encourage you to encourage yourself. Come on, Dave, pull yourself together. Gird up your loins. That's what I just did. That's what scripture says. I mean, it's, it's an adjustment that makes you kind of feel more comfortable in yourself. You ever found yourself sitting uncomfortably and you just kind of make an adjustment and suddenly everything all feels much more comfortable again? Sometimes we need to change our perspective. Sometimes we need to move. Storms can cause us to freeze. Circumstances can cause us to go, and we freeze in a moment. Whether psychologically or emotionally or physically, but we freeze. And we get stuck. If you've ever sat in the same position for let me say 30, 40 minutes. You try getting out. It doesn't matter how fit you are. You now try getting up. And you see people getting up out of the chair. We've all got stuck. And we can get just as stuck in a sofa as we can on a hard chair. It's not about comfort. But it is about moving from the place we are. I went to university many years ago in Bath, and there's a hill outside Bath called Salisbury Hill. For anybody who's a Peter Gabriel fan, you probably just had a, a flashback moment, because he wrote an album called Salisbury Hill. But This was one of those hills where you drove up this main road, up the A4, and then you turn off the A4 onto this very narrow road, and you turn off this narrow road onto something that wasn't even on the map, and you could drive to the top of the hill. And you could drive to the top of the hill, and you could look over the city of Bath, and it was like you were really close, but you couldn't hear a sound. It was silent, but it was so visually stimulating. Beautiful place. I used to go there regularly. I used to go and sit and pray. Sometimes go and run around and pray. Sometimes lie down and pray and look at the stars. But it was a place that I went to. A place that I found strength and hope. And a time to be with God. And a couple of times in my year at Bath, there were times that I ran to the top of that hill. Not literally ran, but spiritually ran. Because there I sat and I had a long conversation with God. Why? Seems like you've left me, God. Why have you left me here? And I felt God was almost doing an x-ray on me at the top of the hill. God was looking into my heart. God was testing my spirits. God was seeing where I was at. And so the storm disappeared into the background as I felt I was almost moved from being under the storm to being under the surgeon's knife. And then being under the surgeon's life, suddenly I felt like God was examining my heart. And as he was examining my heart, God was looking at me and saying, Dave, I'm not just looking at the storm, but I'm looking at your response to the storm. 
And in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you shall be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So the storm has a purpose. The storm has some consequences. But God is outworking in my heart some surgery. And those moments have sometimes been moments of discipline, moments of readjustment, moments of reprioritization. Maybe I could write what David wrote in Psalm 119, verses 71 and 72. It was the best thing that could have happened to me, for it taught me attention to your laws. That's what David wrote in Psalm 119. Psalm 23 talks about your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff were about the shepherd's crook for pulling sheep out of dangerous places, but the staff to measure and to control and to, and, and to um, discipline. God does sometimes want to discipline us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because God wants us to improve. God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. So what do we do if we've messed up? What if we feel like actually part of the cause of the storm is something we've done? Well, firstly, we can say sorry. We can repent. We can turn back to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've tried to do things my own way. We can ask for forgiveness and receive it. There's a simple statement that I've just kind of thrown in there, which I know sounds obvious, but you know, sometimes we ask for forgiveness, but we do not receive it. So God, I'm really sorry. Have you ever done it with a friend? You've done something that's offended them. You say, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean that. I'm, I'm sorry I upset you. And they go, it's okay, Dave. It's fine. And then I'm still walking around behaving as if, the forgiveness has not been received. And we can do that with God too. We also need to be willing to receive help from others. Paul, David, many other examples in the Bible. Storms came and they needed help. James quite clearly puts it in these verses. Count it all joy, not just some of it, all of it joy, when you fall into various trials. Do you know what? That your faith produces patience. I get frustrated with patience. Patience is a fruit that takes such a long time to grow. Anybody planted strawberries this year? You've planted a something that grows fruit in your garden and you see the flower coming, you say, come on flower, turn into fruit, turn into fruit. It doesn't make it grow any faster. And the best fruit is the fruit that's grown the slowest because it has the greatest flavour. If you've eaten raspberries or strawberries or any of the other soft fruits that have been grown quickly, they're tasteless and watery. 
That's why English strawberries are some of the best strawberries in the world, because our climate means they grow slower and they ripen slower. And I'm sure that's true about the fruit of patience. Patience grows slowly. And not being a particularly patient person, it's even more frustrating. So when patience produces its reward and is perfected and complete and lacking nothing, I think, oh, and we sometimes make do with imperfect fruit or unripened fruit. Maybe it's a better way of putting it. So sometimes it's good to tell people to wait. Just wait and see what God will do. And just like Paul and just like David, there's some other things that we would need to think about. Number one is to focus on Christ. Let's get our focus. Let's, let's move and change our perspective. Let's see what God sees. Let's see what Christ's perspective would be in any circumstance and situation. I've had the privilege of praying with people who've been through some very difficult circumstances in their lives. And one of the questions sometimes that they've been asked is, where was God in this? And actually seeing where God not was in the circumstances, but actually he was there to comfort and strengthen you and lead you through, is a, is a, a fresh reflection and a fresh perspective on these things. So focusing on Christ gives us a secret reservoir, a secret place that we can draw strength from. And if we, if we can do that, then we can place our trust in Christ. We can learn to listen to one another. Because I want to come back to Psalm 46. I want to come back to the second verse of Psalm 46. I've realised that, uh, you know, um, I've been asked the question sometimes, Dave, what's your favourite scripture? And I was thinking, what's, what's, the right, what's the right way to answer this? Should I have a favourite scripture? Am I allowed to have a favourite scripture? Until I heard uh, David Pawson answer the question. And he was asked, David, what? and he's a good Bible scholar, fantastic teacher. And uh, he was asked the question, David, what's your favourite scripture? And he said, Philippians 3 verse 2, and he quoted it. And um, some, it was an inconsequential particular scripture. It wasn't. So, well, why is that your favourite scripture? Well, that's my favourite scripture now. Yesterday, my favourite scripture was this one. And tomorrow, my favourite scripture will be a different one. Because I, my favourite scripture is the scripture that God gives me for now. Now, there might be scriptures that you and I turn to again and again and again. They're the promises of God. They're words that have encouraged us. But they're words that carry us. And if they're in our hearts, as, as it says, they're written on our hearts. So I'm going to go back to Psalm 46, verse 2. And just ask us this question. Can we say this in our storm? Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Mountains being carried into the midst of the sea. I don't know whether you've ever seen a landslide. I've only ever seen two in my life. One was after the event, and one was actually as it happened. Um, but they are deafening, they are noisy, 
They are awesome. I can only describe it. The whole of a mountain disappears. Just so when we read here, and we, you've probably seen something similar. If you watch um, somebody like um, David Attenborough and some of his things on, on icebergs and things, you'll see whole icebergs falling into the sea. That's the kind of image that I have when I read this scripture. That says, even though the earth be removed, even though the mountains shall be carried into the midst of the sea. You know, massive, m m millions of tons of stuff moving. Even though that's happening, I will not fear. Yeah, I mean, you and I can be faced by thunder and lightning. We can be faced by things that are perfectly natural and normal in our world. It's just our world stretching and groaning. But how can David say, therefore, we will not fear? It's because of verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. It's a statement of fact, not a statement of opinion. And it's a question of whether we would live in the reality of that. So let me pray. Father, I pray for those who are listening, whether they be online or later, and those in the room. I want to pray for those who are going through storms right now, storms of work, storms of relationships, storms of finances, storms of uncertainty, circumstances that could rock our world. And Father, I pray for peace in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits, Lord God. A peace that will settle the impact of the storm. We use the phrase, the eye of the storm, and often at the centre of the storm is a place of stillness. At the centre of our hearts, complete a, a place of stillness, despite the storm. Father, would you come and walk with us, journey with us, travel with us, through the tests of life, that we can, as with James, say we count it all joy. Help us to learn, help us to grow, help us to be who you've called us to be, but help us to journey with others too, that we would be the helping hand, that we would be the encouraging voice, that we would be the word of wisdom to those who are also passing through the storms of life. Father, I pray for our week ahead. We've all got stuff that's coming, things to think about, things to do. And Father, I pray that our burden would be light, our journey would be easy. Our spirit would be joyful and our mind's eye would be focused on you your ways, and your will. In Jesus' name. Amen.
I'm just doing what I read again in David when he said, see that applause. Let's just allow things that we've spoken about this morning to settle in our hearts. In a sense, the Father would say to us this morning, there's a well from which we can draw from. It's not going to run dry. It's never going to be empty. But it's a well that we can draw from. And we can draw deeply. We need to reach down with the buckets of life and draw up the gifts and fruits of the Spirit. And I particularly feel that the Lord would say to us this morning that peace and peace that passes all understanding is available for all. Just draw deeply, drink deeply, be satisfied with the peace that stills our heart. And I I, I believe that to be true for some people who are listening right now who have heart troubles. Effectively, God brings his peace to your heart today. God brings a a resettling of heartbeats, a stilling of the heart, a recalibration of the heart. I think God brings a cleansing peace. Sometimes I think there are a few folk who are with us this morning who have been touched by something that just keeps on, you know when you've got oil on your hands and you've washed your hands and you need to wash them again and again because the oil doesn't seem to go away. Just something, you've touched something and there is a well of peace available for you to plunge your hands into it. To be washed, to be cleansed, to have peace in your hands. I, I even see it says there are one or two people who have tremors and shakes and, and twitches in their hands. God wants to touch today. So, Father God, thank you for your abundant peace. Thank you for your provision, Lord God. Thank you that you do not leave us in the storm. You have not left us behind. You have not forgotten us. You are there with us as we journey on the road. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.